All right, it is 2024, and welcome to Season 2 of the Man on the Move podcast. Now, since we have last spoke, I have suffered a minor stroke that sent me to the ER and uh, major food poisoning that almost sent me back. So a word to the wise here, keep a close eye on your blood pressure and stay away from the Kroger branded black beans. And that's how we begin 2024. Now, as I was laying in the emergency room and my wife was trying to figure out how we got there, I had to give her my phone uh, since I was headed into the MRI machine and the CT machine and whatever other tube they were sending me in. And well, my phone was pinging constantly throughout the day with uh, text messages from people wanting to get together for a beer. And that began to maybe give a somewhat of a clear indication as to how we ended up in the ER on a random Wednesday morning. So lifestyle changes abound and a man on the move must stay on the move. So here we are today. And with that, a sip of the Topo Chico to wish you a happy new year and a fruitful and healthy 2024. Cheers. Now I come to you from a very snowy Franklin, Tennessee today where I am on the the Blue Yeti podcasting microphone. It's not really blue, it's silver in color. Um, it's from Baltic Latvia, something or other. I think that's what blue stands for. And 25 years in the music business taught me that anything that comes from uh, former Soviet or Eastern Bloc or Iron Curtain, you know, esoteric type piece of gear, well, it, it just sounds better. And we'd always have guys coming in the studio and they'd say things like, yeah, I recorded my guitar solo through a, a compressor that was made for the Soviet cosmonaut space agency in 1962 and that's why it sounds so good and uh invariably would be fixing all kinds of noise and problems and phase and eq issues and and whatever with the uh with the sound but hey it uh was baltic latvian and and that's why it sounds so good and so here i am on my um baltic latvian microphone that was made in china And that's why I sound so good. All right. Today, we are looking at the three most annoying guys on Twitter. And I'm sure you've seen these guys on Twitter. And when I talk about Twitter, I'm, of course, talking about what is now known as the X platform. Quite possibly the last bastion of free speech in America. I mean, when you think about it, um, in terms of media, Where else can you go and speak freely and not be censored for your views? Um, Facebook, Instagram, they're going to, they're going to censor you heavily. If you go on YouTube and start saying things that they don't like, they're going to censor you or demonetize your platform. Um, Rumble is trying to be a bastion of 
free speech, but the government didn't like that. And they are, the FCC is now cracking down on rumble and trying to put them out of business. So they don't really want to mess with Elon Musk and the X platform. I think they tried that once and it didn't go well for them. And so X remains the, as far as I know, the last bastion of free speech in the world today. So thank you, Elon Musk and cheers. And there are three really annoying guys on, I I call it Twitter. I call them tweets. I call it Twitter, but we're talking about the three most annoying guys on the platform. We're talking crypto guy. We're talking real estate investment guy, and we're talking credit card rewards guy. You know, these guys, Well, first off, let's look at Crypto Guy. He is a guy at the forefront of what I call copy culture. He has no original thought, no ideas of his own. He's merely copy investing and copy living. Crypto Guy has more in common with a Jenner or a Kardashian than his fellow male brethren. Well, that's because his fellow male brethren actually live in non-parental domiciles and enjoy the comfort of the female sex. Crypto guy seeks fame and fortune in lottery-style investing with casino-style wins. He's after money that requires minimal effort and no discipline, striving for shortcuts, and seeks only an answer to his one and only question, how do I get rich now this instant? Along with his second question of, how do I please a woman? His investment strategy is the time spent learning the crypto vernacular, This is a language so complex it leaves him unable to communicate with the rest of the natural world. So this has him spending a lot of time on Twitter discussing dog tokens and using a lot of rocket emojis. He also uses the word moon as a verb. And then to relax in the evenings, he watches how to pick up women YouTube videos. And then he's on to the next big bandwagon, the next big thing. There's always a new big thing. And this one is going to be the one. And when things don't go his way, well, it's not his fault. It's the Republicans' fault or the Democrats or the Illuminati. They have it all rigged with George Soros, Epstein, the Fed, and the Jews. When crypto goes bust, it's anyone's fault but his own. My favorite story about Crypto Guy comes from ApeFest 2023. This, again, we talked about this before, the Bored Apes uh, scene. And this is uh, this ape fest is where Crypto Guy and his compadres gathered to collectively glam the NFT market, which is on life support and hardly deserves anything more than a night out at a steak and shake. But during this event, the light show uh, at their rave was loaded with UV lights. And it left attendees running for the ER due to dangerous UV light exposure. Lights on the stage that were designed for UV disinfection purposes. And we're talking permanent eye damage due to exposure to these UV lights that the organizer thought were black lights instead. And again, this was at an NFT rave where the attendee list had to be 99% crypto guys. So if these UV lights didn't blind you, Uh, I bet the bumping and grinding amongst the crypto guys would have finished you off. (laughs) 
So much for crypto guy being the smartest guy in the room, right? And blinded by his own ambitions. Yep, that's straight on par for crypto guy. So next, let's move on to real estate investor guy. Now, I love this guy. He's a guy who invests by way of guaranteed liability. Oh, you know this guy, leveraging into real estate with as little money as possible, where his only guarantee is debt repayment against the hope of a nice return. Now I ask, how many times have you gone out and borrowed money so that you can come home and invest in the stock market? I'm going to guess zero. But this is so common in the real estate investing world that it seems normal, if not a prudent method of money management. Real estate investment guy will openly taunt those who are too stupid to realize his magic trick, the power of debt. He has it figured out, folks. Why on earth would you invest in T-bill? Why on earth would you invest in T-bills at 5% when you can load up on debt, buy a bunch of real estate you can't afford, and make 6% on cash flow? Look, All you got to do is get a banker's five fingers wrapped around your balls, get down on your knees to please your tenants night and day, and then you'll spend your free time soaking up the rays in Cabo with all the money you're making. How can you not be doing this? Me? I'm perfectly content to take money I have in hand, invest it wisely, and eschew the risk of leveraged and speculative investing in real estate. What do I miss out on? besides the beach in Cabo? Well, gee, I'm really going to miss mortgage interest and private mortgage insurance, homeowner's insurance, property taxes, maintenance costs, property management costs, time spent dealing with tenants or inevitable maintenance issues. Oh, and the risk of debt where I am upside down at any point in time in terms of the equity I own in my investment. Now, I'll wake up tomorrow knowing I don't owe anyone any money and that my money is working for me. All that risk for a 1% or 2% spread? Ah, no thanks, real estate investment guy. Okay, last but not least, credit card rewards guy. I absolutely love this guy. Publicly posting a play-by-play as he's out in front of a steamroller picking up pennies. And when I say pennies, I mean it. Here is the value of some of these famous rewards out there. Southwest airline miles are worth a little over a penny each. They cost you 75 bucks a year to pick up, and the card comes with a 22% interest rate. Marriott rewards are worth 0.8 cents each. Cost you 100 bucks a year to pick up your fractional pennies, and a 22% interest rate there too. Amex membership rewards, well, they're worth a penny each and they cost you 20 bucks a month to pick up. That's right. Your first 2,000 reward points go straight back to Amex. (laughs) What a scam. You freaking bonehead. Capital One reward points. What's in your wallet? About 0.75 cents each. Cost you eight bucks a month to play with your fractional pennies and a juicy, juicy 26% interest rate on that card. Now, I know, I know, everyone in this credit card reward game, including credit card rewards guy, has it all figured out. They earn the rewards for money they're just going to spend anyway, 
and then they pay off their cards every month and take a free trip to Hawaii once a year. Bullshit. Here's the thing. The Federal Reserve did a huge study on consumer spending that encompassed the entire country. And guess what they found? People using credit cards spend 30% more per month than people who use debit cards in their personal finance transactions. 30% more. So even if you do pay your credit card off every month, there's a really good chance your internal rate of spending is going to be higher than it would be if you were just using cash or a debit card instead. And why is this? Well, how do you housebreak a puppy? You take it outside, you let it piss in the grass, and when it comes back in, you give it a treat, right? And what is that treat? It's a little hit of feel-good dopamine. Oh, I get it. I go pee-pee outside, I come back in, daddy gives me a treat. Pretty soon, the puppy may just want to go outside, turn around, and come back in just to get a treat. The dopamine of that reward is that strong. And that's all a credit card reward is. It's a dopamine treat to reward you for spending money. Oh, that feels good. I'm going to go ahead and buy this or that. I'm going to spend a little extra because daddy's going to give me a treat. I'll pay it off. I will. And then I'll spend more money for more of those treats, those rewards. They taste so good. Hit me, hit me. The conversation will literally sound like this. And don't tell me it doesn't because I know this to be true. We don't really need a new couch, but this is a really good deal and it, it'll look great in our double mortgaged house. We'll get the reward miles for it too. They can go toward a trip we can't really afford. But if we go on this trip we can't really afford and we use the credit card to pay for our hotels and meals, we'll get double points. And we'd be stupid to turn down double reward points. And then we can use those points toward another trip we can't really afford either, but that trip will basically be free by that point, right? So, ah, what the heck, let's do this. And then, before you know it, we have a trillion dollars in credit card debt with 61% of Americans loaded up with it. Now, a trillion dollars doesn't even seem like that much money anymore. I mean, as a country, we're $30 trillion in debt. So what does a trillion dollars in consumer credit card debt mean? That's nothing, right? Well, most folks would agree that a million dollars is still a lot of money. And remember, a trillion dollars is a million million. So think about it that way. So here's credit card reward guy. He's out there scraping up pennies transferring balances, making purchases just to hit spending bonuses, opening new accounts for the promo offers to scoop up new rewards, taking cash advances, maybe even taking flights to nowhere and back just so he can take more flights for free. And what is he doing all this high-flying buffoonery for? It's a snow job, man. Credit card guy is caught in a machine that Visa and MasterCard grind him through on a daily basis on every single purchase, and it's laughable. Go to an ATM, man. Get some cash. Get a debit card that's linked to your checking account. Live on less than you make and get out of that credit card game. Speaking of card games, do you play poker? I love poker. 
I'm pretty good at it too. I've won tournaments and I can hold my own in most any game, but there is an old adage in poker that when you sit down at a table and you can't find the rube in a poker game, then you are the rube. So think about these guys. How many crypto schemes have to implode or how many big crypto paydays does he have to miss out on before crypto guy can spot the rube? And real estate investment guy feels that banker's grip while juggling massive amounts of time and massive amounts of debt and risk. And honestly, he's only seeking mediocre returns. Can he spot the rube? And credit card rewards guy? Come on. These credit card companies are worth between $100 billion and $500 billion each. And they're handing out fractional pennies to their card users and calling them rewards? Do you think he can spot the rube? Being a man on the move means spotting the rube. It takes discipline. But often that discipline is merely resigning yourself to simplicity, the shortest distance between two points. And don't sit at the table with sharks. Money doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't take a lot of effort. And there are no secret cheat codes that people have figured out. Be weird. Be simple. Laugh at complexity and run from the people who embrace it. Oh, and the next time you're on Twitter, you can go ahead and start muting those uh, accounts from crypto guy, real estate investor guy, and credit card rewards guy. They have nothing to offer. Now, that's going to wrap us up on the three most annoying guys on Twitter. And next week, it's football time. That's right. The Super Bowl is coming up, and we're going to look at the old football coach. I always hear a lot of talk around Super Bowl time about how the coach has the first 15 plays scripted. What does that mean? Does a coach really have the first 15 plays of the game written out that he calls in order? I'm going to show you how that works, and I'm going to talk about my experience and what I saw in the world of youth football when my boys were growing up. It was a strange ride, but we're going to talk football on the next episode of the Man on the Move podcast in two weeks. So I hope you'll join us then. As always, we've got Cole Head back, and be sure to check out his music on Spotify. Thank you again to Brooklyn Addison and Ron Boyd Media. And I hope that you still remember that you need to get out there, get on the move, stay on the move, get with the man on the move. I'll talk to you soon.